Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack. I am your host, Josh Scar. With me this week is Beppo. Howdy. Beppo, how you been? Good. I'm glad to be back again. Always a pleasure to have you in. Uh, if anyone is not aware, Beppo is the one that has created our character avatars for the Talking Smack page. So we we love her and we love her work. It's just fantastic. I know Rebecca, uh, she almost started crying Aww. when she saw hers because she loves she loves her, her good dog, Bo. And Aww. she just, she loves it. Thank you. I was really happy to make them. <laughs> so what you been up to since uh, our oh shit moments? Absolutely nothing. Well, actually, no, I take that back. I went and broke my arm, um, my wrist, actually. Right after creating all that beautiful art, I was out of commission for a few weeks. So uh, I'm out of my cast. I'm doing better. And I'm just excited to kind of be back in the game. So... <laughs> Fingers crossed, nothing bad happens. Yeah, I do remember you were a bit really bummed about missing Inktober, but hopefully we can figure something out to supplement that for you. Heck yeah, man. I'm just ready to get back in the groove of things. That and, uh, you know, just being able to do simple tasks around the house. So I'm I'm happy to be free of the cast. <laughs> you been watching or, uh, re- watching or reading anything good? Comics, books, TV shows, movies? Um, I have been rereading a manga that I picked up uh, beginning or late, late 2020, an absolute depression read, and it made me feel like poo at the very end, but after a few months, it sinks in, and now I want to reread it and feel that horrible feeling all over again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's called uh, Oyasumi Poon Poon or Goodnight Poon Poon. I highly recommend not reading it if you are very emotionally and mentally unstable as far as tragedy goes because man it put me into a depression for like three weeks but you know what i'm going back in for more because apparently i'm a sadist and i loved it uh i mean i can't i can't relate to reading the comic or the manga and wanting to go in and depress myself again but i can definitely understand the sadist part because as you mentioned we teased this on social media we're going into a new segment called josh rages about bad shows he's willfully subjecting himself to Amen. i have <laughs> i have been re- uh i'm giving myself a headache just thinking about it already <laughs> i signed up for dc universe when that originally started as a co-op streaming service slash comic book service where you got a bunch of back catalogs but they had a really weird program profile for it where you wouldn't get full runs of comics like they would have nightwing number one through 13 and then they would skip to nightwing number 21 like what why are we not getting an extra six issues in here (laughs) right well you gotta pay premium for those aka uh take your ass to the comic book store or go on to Comixology. App Store. Yep, Comixology, the App Store, and buy it. <laughs> I, I signed up for it because I am a huge Young Justice fan. I loved that show when it was airing on Cartoon Network back in 2011, and they were bringing it back. That was one of the, the key points to the the DC Universe rebrand or whatever they were doing. Part of the other side of that they were doing to kind of tease people and get people interested was this live-action Titan show. It got a lot of pushback immediately because there's the whole fuck Batman thing from uh, Brenton Thwaites as Robin slash Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, whatever. It's it's going to be a gritty, grim, dark, we swear and have sex kind of thing. But as long as the characters are good, it, it should be fine as long as they get everything right. This show is right. such a clusterfuck of nonsense. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I watch it 
and it hurts me so bad every time <laughs> and i can't not go back because they they are always just on the cusp of getting it right and then they just take it all back i i've been watching season three i finished it yesterday the the biggest thing about the show it that gets to me is these are DC superheroes. One of the biggest staples of DC and their superhero crop is that they follow that no-kill rule pretty seriously. In Marvel, it's pretty much just Spider-Man. People still die around Spider-Man, but he's usually not the person who does the killing. And in and right, in exactly. DC Comics, that is largely everyone. Mm-hmm. But in this show, they don't give a shit. If you're not an established character like Deathstroke or... Uh, Red Hood or the Scarecrow, you're free game. And then five minutes later, they're going to go back and be like, we're heroes, we don't kill. Star right. Starfire literally killed a mobster because they tricked her. Not an episode later, she's sitting there yelling at Dick, like, we shouldn't kill Jason Todd, even though he's the Red Hood and he's been going around killing people. We're not murderers. What? Bitch, you literally are. <laughs> you literally incinerated someone. My voice is cracking because I can't, like, contain this. <laughs> oh, my God. She shook the person's hand because they're like, we're just doing business. And she's like, I prefer to do business by shaking hands. And then she just ignites her powers and incinerates the person from the inside out. And you see them turn to ash. And then she just walks around like, I'm a hero. I did good today. Got someone killed and then killed their killer. Hashtag justice. Yeah, hashtag justice. <laughs> and then the, season three just goes beyond so much of that, too, because part of the, the plot point of the season is they're covering the, the Red Hood story. So, I mean, spoilers, I guess. Again, I'm always late on the spoiler warning. I'm sorry. Jason Todd dies from the hand of the Joker. Batman is devastated. And what he ends up... Oh, sorry if you hear my dog barking. She's uh, She's been possessed by a banshee. She's our uh, special guest this week, so enjoy. <laughs> she's tired of hearing me complain about this. She's the only one that'll listen to me anymore. <laughs> Dad, stop! <laughs> stop already! <laughs> Jason Todd gets murdered by the Joker after willfully ignoring Bruce Wayne, saying, don't go, don't go after the Joker on your own. Uh, Jason Todd dies. Bruce Wayne's devastated. And in his devastation, he calls up Dick. They have a heart to heart. And then in the middle of the night, he's, stand, he's standing over Dick with a crowbar in his hand. He's like, I, I did it. It's done. And then he walks away and he's, he's like, just be a better Batman, Dick. And you're like, what the hell just happened? And you find out that he went to Arkham and killed the Joker with a, a crowbar. Okay. Batman has crossed the line. He he cannot be Batman anymore uh. at this point because he has crossed that line. And then Dick spends the entire season trying to be a better Batman by being with the Titans and doing their thing and being a team and a family. At one point, I think it's in like episode seven, Dick and Barbara are talking and Dick says this line. I had to go back and pull it because it is the most ridiculous line of justification of anything ever. They're talking about what they're going to do when they get their hands on Jason. Are they going to kill him because he's been killing people or are they going to welcome him back to the Titans? Dick says this, Bruce used to say, throw water on a drowning man, close the deal. What the fuck does that mean? What does that mean in this context? Uh, I mean, 
I would think it's kind of obvious. If a man is drowning, don't bother saving him. Just help him drown faster. It's, it's not. Batman no, it, all, it makes no damn sense. And it is not justice. It is not vengeance. It's what? So, oh, so what's going on? Uh, I, 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 I can't hear you. You're too far it's down murder. here. Let me just let me just throw this uh, bucket of water on top and just you're already down there. I'm up here. It's it's too late. I'm sorry. I kind of imagine it like uh, somebody's like in a big vat of water. Help, help, help me. And you got Batman kind of like just standing around, looking around silently. And just all of a sudden he's like, <whistles> and then like kicks the bucket full of water in to like pour more water and it knocks the guy out and he drowns. He's like, well, my job here is done. <laughs> I just like, it, yeah, that's just what I picture. I picture it as like a spoof comedy. Yeah, it, it makes no sense because Batman. Batman doing just like, Hashtag justice. <sighs> he was drowning. You weren't going to help him? <laughs> it was already too late. I'm Batman. I don't. I don't even know. The writers don't know what they're doing, and these characters make no sense because everyone on that team is a murderer, and yet at some point they're gonna make the argument against murdering someone. Again, the the whole Batman v Superman thing, where Batman murders like twelve people in the car chase scene. Batman can't come back from that. His whole point is that he is going to be better than the villains. He's gonna try and serve justice. He's gonna try and do other things. Batman can't do that when he's just murdering people. It ruins his entire stigma. So I'm not the first person to say this. I am not making any type of like, oh my God, it's an epiphany. But I think the biggest problem with a lot of the DCEU um, as far as the live action stuff because most most of the animated stuff's on point. Uh, there's some hits and misses, some misses, but mostly hits in my opinion. The problem with the live action stuff is, I love dark things. I love dark humor. Uh, I love dark reads or dark watches. I like stuff that makes you kind of feel like shit when you're done. Because that's the stuff that really makes you kind of like think either about mortality or just, wow, I am just a little tiny speck in a endless universe kind of a thing. So I like dark things, uh, but I think the problem with DC is they don't know how to balance dark versus edgy because edgy stuff can be really cringy when not done right. And the thing is, is like dark doesn't always have to mean drugs, sex, and alcohol. Dark comedies are kind of a perfect example of that. And yes, they'll have drugs, sex, and alcohol. But I mean, as far as a dark comedy goes, it can still be funny and a great experience, but just takes place in this this storyline or universe where everybody is just shitty or or anything like that. That's just kind of what I've noticed with DC, is that their biggest issue is that they don't know how to balance like dark or dark comedy or just a more adult approach versus being cringy and just edgelord. And that's kind of what I get from, from Titans. They're just trying so hard to be that edgy 15-year-old teenager, you know, just watched like their first R-rated movie and they're like, oh, nobody understands me. Oh, justice. And, you know, oh, we shouldn't kill. But you know what? It's, it's just ignore all the things I've done. Kind of my favorite example recently was The Suicide Squad, the one directed by James Gunn. 
it's it's morbid and dark, but it was so much fun. It kept that amazing lightheartedness and goofiness from comics, but it put it in a setting where you were like, oh shit, like this is an actual threat, even though it's really silly. I love it. And I I would love to see DC take that direction. Marvel obviously is a little bit more family friendly. They do have kind of dark and depressing moments, but it doesn't take you completely away from the film. It feels natural. I would love to see DC just kind of keep that lighthearted, dark humor. It's a comic book. I mean, you have a man dressed as a silly looking bat running around in a cape punching bad guys. I mean, that's inherently silly. Kind of go with it. I don't know. Like I said, I kind of rambled. You could obviously edit this down, but <laughs> no, you make you make great points, and it, it, I, I'm not trying to say that if you like Titans, you're dumb or anything like that. You like what you like, and it's it's clearly made for a certain demographic of their fan base, namely the people that love and worship the Dark Knight. The the show just aesthetically, it looks great, and there's so much potential. I have little nitpicks that bother me. Like Nightwing's suit is way too bulky. He look it looks like a Halloween mm-hmm. store costume because he's got like the padded chest and abs and stuff. And there's a shot in the finale where he's doing some work. It just it looks so bad. He looks so chunky. And he's Dick Grayson. He's supposed to be the dude with the best ass mm-hmm. in the universe. <laughs> and he's a, he's a, a he's a was a trapeze artist he's a gymnast he's supposed to basically be batman and spider-man mixed together yeah exactly like obviously depending on the artist he could be very top heavy or very bulky but generally speaking he is an acrobat acrobat that's what i was looking for yes and acrobats tend to have leaner muscle they're very toned very lean and kind of like very muscular throughout their body because they're using their entire body to defy gravity basically you know they're not exactly like boxers or ufc fighters where they're going to be really upper body bulked out and really massive thighs because they got to kick somebody's skull in you know uh and again it just depends on the artist but personally when i think of dick grayson when i think of nightwing i'm on the same page as you i think lean and able to move really fast and the titans look looks awful if this was an origin story and that was like his costume that he had lying around because you know he had like hockey gear or something like that it would make a little bit more sense uh you know think like uh the spider-man movies where he usually just has a ski mask and and a sweater you know like spray painted uh, a spider on kind of a thing yeah his proto suit yeah exactly it looks janky for a reason it looks silly and it looks homemade and that's kind of what i feel like the finale suit looks like it looks bad (laughs) for lack of a better descriptor it's the suit he wears throughout the entire season uh he gets that suit in the season finale for season two again it it looks like it's supposed to as far as a visual standpoint if that makes sense but then when you see it moving and you see him from the side profile he looks like rob liefeld drew him where it just really front heavy chest but like a nice lean back and it just it looks so bad because they're trying to do the you mean the perfection of human anatomy (laughs) yes yeah he 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 does not exactly look like the uh upside down triangle or the upside down dorito chip whatever (laughs) From a design standpoint, it looks great. Like, I understand what they're trying to do because he's 
he's always in the line of fire so he's got the the plating and stuff that they do in uh the dark knight and he looks like nightwing brenton thwaites is great as dick grayson it's just that it's such a grim dark take on it it becomes a problem because dick's whole thing is that he's very jovial even in the the world that he lives in he still has hope and again, he's he's kind of like Spider-Man in that sense, where he he just kind of is always hopeful. He's quippy sometimes, and he just is always talking. And he's just got that charisma that oozes out of him, and which is part of why he's such a Lothario. But in this show, he's he, he's more of a Batman than he is a Dick Grayson. Yeah, and it, uh, it, it definitely is a de- detriment to the character, in my opinion. Yeah, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. He's kind of almost an opposite to Batman in the sense of Batman, especially by the time, you know, Dick Grayson is a, is a young man he's not a child anymore you know he's a little cynical uh you know batman still has you know he still has drive and push to save people but bruce is kind of an unpleasant person to be around in the comics because he's constantly grumpy and angsty i don't know how the entire bat family hasn't just disowned him as their adopted bat dad (laughs) because sometimes bruce is a little unbearable and dick grayson's kind of like the perfect character for that because he almost has this love-hate relationship with bruce because he knows that batman is so cynical and dick wants to kind of put a little bit more lightheartedness into the world and doesn't think it's all that bad kind of a thing and and again i could be wrong this is kind of my interpretation and again it's depending on the writer and stuff but that's kind of how i always see dick is just a little bit more lighthearted and definitely not completely dark and dour like this version the the best version of batman that i subscribe to is he's a good dad yes he yeah he gets lost in his mission sometimes and sometimes he'll keep things from people and that gets them upset but i think he always does what he thinks is best for his bat family and there's a really great line in young justice that i think really encapsulates what batman is trying to do when he recruits a robin when he recruits a batgirl which is uh there's an episode in season one where they're uh the justice league is talking and they're having a meeting about who to initiate as new members of the justice league and they're debating what dictates the proper age to join the league and they talk about robin and wonder woman's like you brought robin into the world of crime fighting at the age of nine did you want to turn him into you and batman just immediately responds with so that he wouldn't Mm -hmm. to me that's exactly what batman is all about with his his wards and his sidekicks Uh, i'm gonna kind of leave it at that because it's definitely a show that you need you don't need to watch in my opinion but if you're interested if you're curious i would say that it's something you should watch just to see if it, it tickles your fancy I watch it to punish myself because I have hope that it could be so good, but it just isn't. Sometimes watching things that aren't catastrophically bad can be a really good exercise in learning how to properly write or develop a character because you can see where things are going really well, but then you could also see that moment where things kind of take a fall and could use a little bit better direction. I mean, how many times do you go to a movie and be like, I would have done this scene like that, or I would have done that better? It's a good way to learn a character and learn how to write for that character and that's that's kind of what i'm doing i'm not i don't have aspirations to become a writer but it's something that i i do like because again it's it's kind of refining that tool for me for as the podcast goes on you know you want to be able to have good criticisms not just i like the colors i like the camera angles you want to be able to go into things and that's part of the writing is understanding the characterization and how they they proceed with their, themselves within the movie and how they carry themselves and how they are, they're interpreted from their source material.
We normally do news. Uh, there's not much news this week that I really feel like is worth talking about. They did announce Dune 2, which last week we talked about Dune with Alex, and very cool to hear that we are getting Dune Part 2. But our main topic this week, we are going to be talking about video game adaptations that could work, because we had the Uncharted trailer a couple weeks ago that looks very average. We have a, an animated Mario movie coming out that's basically a Lego movie spinoff. Chris Pratt is so cool! <laughs> I mean, he is. We have Chris Pratt as Mario, Charlie Charlie Day as Luigi. I think I had an aneurysm when I saw Charlie Day as Luigi. I think that was the one that got me more like, what the F? More than Chris Pratt. I am excited for this movie because it's either going to be so good or it's going to be so bad. But either way, I'm going to love it. Yeah, and Anya Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach, which, I mean, that's... That's fine. She's she's okay with what she does, but she doesn't have that voice to me that is like, oh yeah, that'd be really fun. She seems British, <laughs> for lack of a better word. If if she in fact she is British, I believe she is. Oh Mario. I apologize to anyone. I apologize to anyone in the UK listening to this. Uh, Beppo has has received a fine. She's not allowed to yeah. do commissions for a whole six hours. Oh, dang. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to be doing video game adaptations that could work. We we work together to kind of create our our list here. We're not going to do any like number one. This is like our most demanded. It's just going to kind of be whatever. I, I do want to put out a little disclaimer as well. Uh, please note that at the time of this recording, the actors and actresses that we have picked for most of our choices, they have not been outed for any huge scandals or sexual search, assault accusations, harassment accusations, things like that. At least I am not currently aware of any current scandals as well. Uh, at the time of this recording. So if anything changes in the future, please do not hold us accountable for our choices if they end up problematic uh, in the future. Yeah, you if know, they get with us. if they get canceled, we we don't hold any responsibility for our views and opinions currently being held. Yes, that would be great. Don't put us on a witch hunt if uh, Mr. Joe Schmo turns out to be a giant sex pervert. I'm done. And with that, uh, <laughs> let's get started. So uh, the first one I want to talk about that we we're not going to go into like details of plot and everything, just kind of like Speak what we think yourself. of how the cat, how we how we think the casting could work and why do we think this would work? And we want to be really quick because, again, we want to try and keep these episodes under an hour. So uh, the first one I'm going to go with is Halo. There, This has been in production hell for 20 years at this point, pretty much since the first Halo game made a big hit. Hollywood's like, how do we make this into a movie? Like you make aliens, but with anthropomorphic weird praying mantis things and weird little bean looking things. Right. Master Chief, I know he's supposed to be this white dude with red hair, according to the, the novels, but I think Winston Duke would make an amazing Master Chief. If you're not familiar with Winston Duke, he plays M'Baku in Black Panther, and he was also the dad in Us. And yeah. that dude just, he he has charisma, he's got the voice, and he's huge. He is big. Like he could be Master Chief. I can see that. Because that's that's kind of the charm of like faceless characters like that is you're really not casting based on looks because most of the movie, if done right, if done faithfully, you're not going to see the person. So you have to go based off of the voice, just like casting in a video game. So yeah, I can totally see that. 
And, you know, you go with the Deadpool slash Dread kind of thing where, yeah, he keeps the helmet on the entire time. Uh, as Cortana, my personal choice would be Allison Brie. Uh, she's from Community. She plays Annie. And she was also in Glow. Glam? Glam? Glow. Uh, Glow. On uh, uh, Netflix. Yeah. That was a great series. Sorry. Side note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely check that one out if you can. Uh, I, I think she could do the Cortana voice and be have that sarcastic kind of side note. Like Cortana is probably one of my least favorite characters in video games, but I think Allison Brie could do it really well. And again, she's going to be animated throughout the entire thing. She's going to look uh, like a hologram. You could make her look like Cortana from the game, or you could do motion capture with her. It, it would work either way, but I think she has a good voice for the role. Sure. And then the only other character that matters in the Halo universe besides the Arbiter, if you really want to get into that, but the Arbiter, I think, would be more sequel bait. Uh, I think Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya as Sergeant Johnson, which again, he's from Black Panther. He's also from Get Out. He's a fantastic actor, and I think he'd be a really interesting Sergeant Johnson. He doesn't have that gruff voice that you get in the game, but you're going more for compelling than you are a direct adaptation. Sure, sure. I'd watch that. <laughs> I'd watch that movie. All right, uh, next up, uh, I'm going to go with an animated movie here to kind of follow with the Mario theme, uh, Star Fox. And to kind of give an idea of where I'm going with my thought process on all these, I was thinking of games that, Halo kind of being the exception, games that don't have a huge amount of story or lore built into the game, because I think that's where the games or the, the adaptations really kind of falter, is where the Resident Evils and people are talking about Mass Effect coming a game where these are 40 plus hour games where you're doing so many little minute things and people connect to different little things and you're just trying to truncate that 40 hour story into a two hour two and a half hour movie it's not going to work so i'm i'm thinking of move of games that kind of go here's your setting here's your villain go exactly yeah yeah because then you can kind of play a little loosey-goosey with it. You can build logic into the movie around what you're trying to do. Because, again, Halo is essentially, there's aliens that want to activate a bomb that'll destroy the galaxy. Stop them. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, there's re- they're religious zealots, but you don't necessarily have to get into that until you want to get to uh, a meteor point in the movie where you want to build more suspense. But I think I think that'd be fine. And then, so with Star Fox, it's, I forget the name of the, the bad guy, uh, but it's essentially, Boss. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially bad guy wants to destroy the universe we got to stop him let's hop in our cool looking fighter intergalactic fighter jets and go uh with this i wanted i would want it to be animated or stop motion because there's there's an amazing college humor video of the fantastic mr star fox oh, where they're kind of i'm sorry sorry that that's surprising to me uh because that sounds awesome <laughs> I yeah, if it. if you haven't if you haven't seen it, maybe I'll link it in the description. Uh, it's it's really funny. They're doing a really good George Clooney impression from the fantastic Mr. Fox, and they do a really good job of parodying Wes Anderson's store uh, style of animation, and it, it just looks fantastic. So I I think a stop motion could be really cool, uh, but more than likely it would be three D animated. Yeah, and. This one, uh, I know you're going to have something to say about it, uh, but I have a, kind of a blend of the cast because voice actors deserve more opportunities oh, in Hollywood. Yes. Hands down, hands down. I have a little, when it comes to my turn, I actually wrote down another disclaimer to read beforehand. Keep in mind, I will reiterate this, but keep in mind, most of our picks are based off of the prejudice that Hollywood has for actual talented voice actors. As much as we want the actual people who voice these characters to actually you know be in the movie uh, or reprise their role we know that that's usually not a possibility so bear with us if it were up to me we'd get the original voice actors to come in and reprise their roles but 
Hollywood De- definitely isn't about that. And Star Fox is a, a unique one where there's not really voice actors. You just get exactly. Yep. <laughs> okay. What if the whole movie is <laughs> and it's only it'd be kind of like Wally. You just have to have context clues. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. Maybe not that great. <laughs> as Fox, I have Josh Keaton, which uh, he's more known as a voice actor. He was in a, a boy band. He voiced Peter Parker slash Spider-Man in The Spectacular Spider-Man, which is a fantastic series. He uh, was also Green Lantern in the Green Lantern animated series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he does everything. He's ca- He was Captain America in the What If series. He's just fantastic. I think he would knock it out of the park. Uh, he's also Shiro in the new Voltron that was on Netflix a few years ago. Okay. And he just, he's really versatile. His voice is really subtle. So unless you really know what, who he is and what his voice acting range is, you actually might not really be able to pick it up. But I think he'd be really interesting as Fox. And then because we need these Hollywood names and stuff, I have Ryan Reynolds as Slippy because that would allow him to just do his Ryan Reynolds thing. A hands down, yes. Yes, 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 yes. All right, I'm funny. And then, <laughs> and then Keith David as Falco. I think Keith David just has that voice. He's probably more well known as uh, Doctor Facilier right now in The Princess and the Frog. But if you saw him, you would know him as well. If you heard the voice, you would know him. He just has one of those voices that is just perfect for anything. And then because we need some diversity, I have Jennifer Hale as Peppy. So we're gonna gender bend Peppy. From what I understand, Peppy's supposed to be a boy, but we're gonna get some lady power in there yeah, and get yeah. Jennifer Hale, Master Chief herself, or not Master Chief. Commander Shepard herself. <laughs> yeah, I was, oh wow, she's really good. <laughs> she's quite versatile. <laughs> yeah. Nah, that's awesome. Uh, I had problems thinking of one, okay? Uh, you actually kind of helped me as a throwaway joke. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to cast for that movie. But I had such a hard time thinking of more movies to cast. I should have been looking for animated ones because I was just so focused on live action. I didn't even think of animated. It's a really good mental exercise, actually, where you, you kind of think what would work because live action again that's the main goal that's why we're getting all these disney adaptations and stuff so you would think live action is the main thing to go do because it's going to create a broader audience because there's that stigma around animated movies that they're for kids yeah yeah. but to kind of go back to our dc conversation just because something is made for all ages doesn't mean that it's for kids it it can still be really good i just wanted to point out a fun fact that you cast uh, keith david as falco um He's the arbiter from Halo. So you, know, yep, I, you just moved him. I from, think that's you just moved him from one movie to another. <laughs> and he can come back in Halo too for for the arbiter. Hell that's yeah. fine because that's a that's a CGI stop motion character anyway. It always helps when it's an actual like Hollywood or television celebrity already in the game because that just makes it easier for casting because you already know they're right for the role. I was really tempted to do a Saints Row 4 kind of adaptation because there is Keith David plays Keith David in Saints Row 4 and it's fantastic. That's oh uh, that reminds me cuz actually that could work for have you seen that new Ryan Reynolds movie Free Guy? Yeah, we just watched it. Okay, that would be a great way to do a Saints Row movie. Because Saints Row is uh, just such a really over-the-top silly game, at least uh, since, like, past one and two, I believe. Because those are a little bit more grounded, kind of like GTA-esque games. But, of course, in nowadays, it's so f- goofy and funny and over-the-top. I mean, you get a dildo bat. <laughs> and I can beat that. Uh, but Free Guy would be a great, like, style for a Saints Row movie. 
Definitely. And I, I mean, I, I hate open world games, but I loved Saints Row 4. That game was so much fun. It was kind of like Crackdown. Those two games kind of follow a similar path where you level up and you get more abilities. You can start flying and stuff. Th- those games ended up being a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I need to keep up with my list here. What did I do? I've done Halo and Star Fox. That's all we've done so far. How, Shoot. how many more do you have? Is it uh, I've got three? We've, we've got four. I, maybe I can... I was going to say, if you got four in total, I could go right in the middle and be that little... No, we'll, we'll save yours for the end. Yours okay. is the best. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> we'll do this one next because it's going to be quick. Uh, Metroid, and it's going to star Brie Larson. Okay. Uh, not not my first pick, but... We had this discussion. You Charlize Theron, I think, could be really good yes, in the role, too. Yes, um, I would. Per- I personally would pick... I, I always butcher her name, uh, Charlize Theron, because... She one, I mean, she's just gorgeous. Let's be honest, I love her. But she does have, um, she she's been in action movies before, um, and she pulls it off really well. She's got really versatile hair. Like yes. she's got a head that can throw on a wig, and it'll look pretty good anyway. For me, especially for video games, I'll I'll cast based on like certain aspects of looks. For me, because Samus is usually always in her full armor and not zero suit, it's the eyes. For me, casting for Samus, I want very sharp eyes and I want very expressive eyes. Uh, obviously, you can have them talking and all that, and that's fine. You can emote through talking, but emoting through eyes is really hard to do. And that's why I personally would go with uh, Charlize Theron. That's a great point. My casting was a little biased because a couple of years ago, Brie Larson posted a picture of her as Zero Suit Samus. Ah, and okay. she she just looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. She she had the wig and she just looked great. And and I think she's she's really good. I think quote unquote fans give her a bad rap and they just latched onto her because she's uh, arguing for diversity. It, yeah. And, and obviously, whenever something gets political in Hollywood, you know, you're going to have your super hardcore yes and your super hardcore no. Brie Larson is not a bad pick by any means. I think with Captain Marvel, the way she's been written so far in the MCU, she's just a little too like a monotone of a character. And this is coming from somebody who really liked Captain Marvel when I first watched it. But doing a rewatch, you know, they didn't write her character to be all that charismatic. Which you don't have to be a Tony Stark every time you get like a single solo character. However, in other things that I've seen her in, for example, when she was younger, she was uh, Envy in Scott Pilgrim. And she's also like a fantastic actress, uh, for example, in Room. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. She won an Academy Award for that yes. one. So, so she's a great choice. I think given the right material and the right director, obviously, she she's fantastic. So I, I'm definitely not poo-pooing on her. I just personally have a different cast. To kind of just follow up, uh, one of my biggest points on Captain Marvel as a movie is Marvel did a really bad job with that. Just I think that was one of their biggest missteps. I think it's a fine movie. Mm-hmm. My, it's one of my wife's favorite ones. Uh, it's probably top half for me, but... The fact that they made her an amnesiac did not work for me because then you're you're literally rebuilding the character from the ground up and you're losing everything that makes Carol Danvers an interesting character. Exactly. It, just making her discover her roots isn't a good plot point. It's not good character development. It's lazy. And, and I and I understand because Marvel since the beginning, honestly, because of Iron Man, he wasn't exactly super well known outside of the comics, especially at the time. So Captain Marvel's kind of in the same boat. Carol Danvers in general, because, you know, she was Miss Marvel and now she's Captain Marvel and all this and all that. So, you know, I understand wanting to do an origin story for all the characters that aren't Spider-Man. But I think the problem with that is that in the case of Carol Danvers, she wasn't an interesting character most of the time uh, in her early appearances. She was pretty bland. 
Uh, and I like Carol. I, you know, she I, became I, much more interesting after Kelly Sue DeConnick got a hold of her, and then um, that helped a lot. Yeah, Dennis Hopeless also with his kind of semi crossovers with his Spider Woman run. Marvel went through a really big push to kind of redefine Carol Danvers once she took on the Captain Marvel mantle, and I yes. think that's the character that they were. They obviously went with the look of it, but they didn't go with the character. Yeah, and that's yep. that's where the the problem really comes in. And in the case of somebody like Star-Lord, he's completely different than his original comic book. It's so well written and so well done that now in the comics, you have this really silly, goofy, jokester, awesome, charismatic Star-Lord. So it can work rewriting a character, but... Obviously, I think they dropped the ball on that. Sorry, side tangent. I know. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, we love tangents. Yes, we do. Um, we could talk for hours about silly stuff. So the, the next movie that I'm proposing and the leading cast, I'm going to go with Zombies Ate My Neighbors. It would be a live action adaptation. You would have Selena Gomez and Josh Hutchinson uh, in the roles of Julie and Zeke, respectively. Nice. Yeah. I feel like they're young enough that they could play the roles if there were ever any sequels, but they're also old enough that you could say that the video games were pre- like prequels. And so you're kind of building off an established lore that you can just kind of drop everyone back into and create fun Easter eggs. And I think that would be a fun movie to uh, emulate the style of like Zombie Land, just because it's. I- I'm trying to remember Zombies Ate My Number Neighbors because it's been a while since I played it, but it gets pretty weird later on. Because originally it just starts off as zombies, but doesn't it just get into like plant monsters and and aliens and and just like yeah, it, it goes into every trope. Like as far as as far as I ever got, there's like a giant baby toy, or maybe it's just like the baby that you're supposed to rescue that becomes a boss. Okay. And there's like little Chucky dolls that you have to fight and yeah. tarantulas and werewolves. I love that game. It needs to be re-released in some way. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I'd, I'd hands down. I, I have, like I said, I have not played it in years, but I really liked the game when it was out. All right, moving right along. We got two more to go. The next one, this one created a big stink in our group when we were discussing <laughs> this before the show came on or before we started recording. I want to I want to adapt Left 4 Dead, but I want to kind of amalgamate the two games so we get a little bit more diversity in, or mm-hmm. not diversity, but like we get different characters in the, the game or in the movie. So as coach, I would have Anthony Anderson. I think he's in that nice point where he he's not too old to do the role, but he's also not too young to to be what we need from coach. Uh, we've got Stephen Lang as Bill, uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra as Rochelle. We have Adam Baldwin as Francis, Tom, <laughs> Tom Holland as Ellis. And then in a cameo appearance, we have Bruce Campbell as Keith, Ellis's best buddy. Yes, yes. If you guys remember Left 4 Dead, my at least my favorite parts of Left 4 Dead 2 is every freaking time Ellis would go off on a, yeah, me and my butter, buddy Keith here, we used to do this and do that. And, and he was just like this beyond earthly creature because he would do the stupidest things and sometimes it would be like really simple like yeah my buddy keith here he uh uh, hijacked a car and then he crashed into a tree and then other times he's like this this like godly figure that can get away with these crazy things so obviously in the game it's really ambiguous whether he's even alive or even real (laughs) but i think a bruce campbell cameo towards the end of the movie where you see oh yeah it's hey it's keith i think that'd be a great little like punchline because you are hearing these stupid stories that could not possibly be real and there he is just being awesome so I know what most of you are thinking with this as well. Uh, I listed off five characters if you're not including the Bruce Campbell cameo. We're going to kill off either Adam Baldwin or Stephen Lang in this because you need the four people. You need the left four dead. Yep. So 
I, I personally, I think Bill is a stronger character than Francis, mm-hmm. and I think Francis could kind of be make the group too OP. So I think Adam Baldwin in that role would be really fun, but just make it short and just give people kind of the Adam Baldwin thing that they want. I, I agree with you. In, in both games, I feel like Francis was the weakest link compared to the other three. And then the second one, uh, Nick, the, the guy in the white suit, he was kind of the weakest link. All the characters are great. Uh, especially for being a uh, game. Yeah, Nick is just kind of that generic handsome guy. Yeah, kind of a swindler. He definitely, he was. he's the kind of guy where it's like, he's a little sleazy. He's probably counting cards, you know, and swindling you over. But so he's fine. But compared to how hilarious and over the top and, and memorable the other characters are, uh, yeah, I, I'd agree with you there kill off you know the third the third finger (laughs) (laughs) all right so the grand finale here beppo i will let you take this by the reins and lead the way okay so because i only had one pick i kind of overthink a little bit i'm gonna read my disclaimer i brought it up earlier but disclaimer nothing will ever top the original casting of ellen mclean as glados nolan north as the corrupted cores etc but hollywood has been notorious for having no respect for talented and professional voice actors so bear this in mind as obviously if it were truly my choice i would keep the entire voice cast for a movie adaptation as well all right that out of the way my pick if you didn't um if it didn't give it away, is Portal, the Portal franchise. All right, uh, side note, I am not a writer, uh, so keep this in mind. It's not polished or perfected, but uh, I would mesh Portal 1 and Portal 2 because Portal 1 is more of an experience than it is a story. There is lore in the game, so like with Ratman and kind of little hints here and there of what happened to the facility, but your majority of story is going to be in Portal 2. So... Uh, as far as my cast goes, Chell. This one was almost instantaneous for me because Chell, obviously being a silent protagonist, I'm kind of thinking of looks here as well as talent. And uh, I personally would go with Felicity Jones. I am not even a huge fan of her acting. I've seen things where I thought she was terrible in. I've seen things where I thought she was great in. Um, and I've seen things where she pretty much doesn't matter. Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> they totally dropped the ball on Alicia Hardy. <laughs> but she was my very first pick. That She has the gorgeous brown hair. She already has like this cut straight across bangs. So she has the look down for me. And then she has like kind of those tropes that Hollywood really likes in their women. So like big luscious lips and a delicate face. Things like that. So I, I personally thought she was a good pick. Side note, I also could see Olivia Munn. She has that angular face and those just cat eyes so i think she'd be great um we actually did have a little bit of a discussion while in the games chell isn't really there's really nothing about her other than a hint that her father worked father and or mother worked at aperture science at the facility because uh, there is an easter egg later on where you see uh she has a little science project there kind of in one of the rooms that's all destroyed uh, about potato batteries haha However, the face model for Chell, uh, I believe she is Brazilian or, or Latin. I, I'll just go Latin American. So she's she's Latin American and half uh, and she's, uh, I think, half Japanese, but she's of Hawaiian descent. So she is of mixed race. My biggest problem was Hollywood 
has absolutely no love currently for Asian actors and actresses. They're only just starting to really be represented. Uh, and when they are, it's maybe the same three or four people. So I really, I really looked. I was deep diving for a more appropriate actress as far as actual facial features with Chell being mixed race, or at least her original model being mixed race. I couldn't find anybody that I thought fit the mold. So I would actually totally be down to see just a new up-and-coming actress in the role, just hands down. So you don't necessarily need, you know, these seasoned white actresses in the role. Agreed. Agreed 100%. I, I think that the the concept, if you if you present it properly, the concept of uh, a portal, portal to amalgamation movie could really work. And if you use the the voice cast and doing the like, and introducing so-and-so as, as Chell, it, it would work really well. Exactly. I think it's a perfect entry level because Chell being a silent protagonist, there's somebody that you need to relate to. Uh, so even a new incoming actress, uh, debut role, or at least her biggest role, uh, and then you have all these seasoned actors and voice actors around her, that really elevates it. And they've done it tons of times. You know, say what you will about how horrible the Cats 2019 uh, movie was. They created that new cat character, and I can't remember the name of the actress who played her, but she's like an actual ballerina. Uh, and stage dancer, but they brought her in to kind of be that Joe Schmo character for you to relate to as everything fantastical is going around. Something like that, a point of view character. So I would love to see even a newcomer on the scene. Personal favorite pick would be Elizabeth Olsen, but that's just because I absolutely love her and I think she's adorable and pretty and cute. And I hey, her. she's she's becoming a name. She can yes. make it. She can make it work and get some get some uh, investors. Yes. The next three, to me, the biggest people or characters in Portal and Portal 2. Two of them are cheating because these guys are already Hollywood actors and writers and producers, but you're going to keep J.K. Simmons as Cave Johnson and you are going to keep Stephen Merchant as Wheatley. There is absolutely no substitute. I tried. I really did. There is no other substitute whatsoever they're perfect and it'd be easy to cast there there is no substitute especially for steven merchant as wheatley but knowing hollywood they would probably throw james corden in there because they would need to throw in a singing number or something please don't i hate you forever for making me even imagine (laughs) those those are easy peasy lemon scoobiesy now for glados uh this was almost an instant thought and i'll kind of explain a little bit just a little. Uh, but GLaDOS, I would cast Tilda Swinton in the role. I, I like that one a lot. Personally, she is one of the greatest actresses, actors, just period, alive today. She's very versatile. She's just, she's so damn good at what she does. Uh, I love her androgynous look because she's played, I mean, heck, she was uh, David Bowie in uh, the Bioflick. If you've seen the new, the remake of Suspiria, she plays like three characters in it. And one of them is an old elderly German man. Other than the voice being kind of high pitched, you wouldn't even think. Because her mannerisms just change fantastically. I love her. And not only that, but Hollywood has a fixation of making bad guys English. (laughs) 
They usually have a British accent, at least a foreign accent. Thank you, Star yes. Wars. Oh, but it's almost always like a British accent. But for GLaDOS, she is calm, cool, collected. And obviously, once, um, I guess, spoilers for Portal 2, halfway through the game, when Wheatley takes over the facility uh, and GLaDOS is nothing more than a potato battery, <laughs> that's when some of her silliness and... Uh, like her emotions as a character she starts becoming less and less robotic i think she'd be fantastic absolutely fantastic she's my number one pick. i 100 percent agree yeah, absolutely i would love to see her in that role so that's pretty much it for as far as main characters go really the 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 cast is very small in this game but do not forget the corrupted cores at the end of portal 2 they're some of the best lines in the whole game so you have the Space Core, the Adventure Core, and the Fact Core. My picks for those, I think Space Core... Oh, well, let me preface this that I think that celebrity cameos, but comedy celebrities, so like comedians, would be great for these because obviously they're more lighthearted and funny, but then it's a good way to kind of throw in the, oh, I know that guy, I know that guy. Uh, Simon Pegg as the Space Core. I think is a perfect fit. I love he it. He is frantic and kind of airheaded and, you know, oh my God, oh my God. But also he's a big sci-fi fan and he gets a lot of cameos in sci-fi movies or even like lead roles. So I think just as far as a nice little cherry on top, he'd be a great pick. Uh, the Adventure core. <laughs> Bear in mind, this was the only person I could think of for whatever reason. And I love it personally. Uh, David, uh, I'm going to botch his name. David Koichner. Uh, Keckner. Uh, Keckner. Thank you. Wow, that was really bad. David Keckner. He is. I, I, he's in a lot of stuff. He's one of those guys where you see him everywhere. Yeah, he's the he's a sports broadcaster and anchorman. Yes, I think. I was just about to say uh, his two most famous roles are uh, in Anchorman. He's a sportscaster. Uh, he always wears the cowboy hat. And uh, Todd Packer from The Office. Michael Scott's old manager who's just this inappropriate loudmouth, but I think he would be a fantastic space, or I'm sorry, adventure core, because I just hear this like, yeah, like over the top, just like Texan. If you watch The Simpsons, I picture adventure, adventure core as the oil tycoon Texan. I don't even remember <laughs> that character's name, but he's always in that white suit and yeehaw, and he has his guns. He's always firing it. That's Adventure Core to me, at least in this adaptation. I can and definitely see that. Yeah, David's a perfect pick. My my last one is the Fat Core, and this one was a little different or, or a little difficult depending on the direction you wanted to go. Um, and I put John Cleese or Rain Wilson. Uh, John Cleese just has one of those like super uh, matter of fact classic voices so I could see him delivering these facts that are all incorrect but because he sounds the way he does you almost believe them. I I 100% buy into John Cleese as the fact core that one just I can hear it. Yes exactly or Rain Wilson because he is he, he pulls off that monotone straight to the point so well and i mean who can deny the fact meme from uh, <laughs> from the office <laughs> i just hear that the fact space i like it ends at the edge of space fact <laughs> false <laughs> things like that if hollywood really wanted to save money and they were lame and didn't want all these amazing cameos all of them could be played by sasha baron cohen <laughs> i'm cool with that 
So just because this was my only pick, I promise I didn't come up with a whole plot, but I did want to kind of explain why I would piece the two together. Movies are getting longer nowadays. It is not uncommon to go to the theater and sit through a nearly three-hour movie. So keep in mind, for this adaptation, I'm going for a little bit of a longer movie. So two and a half to three hours. So the first part of the movie, maybe the first 30 or 40 minutes, be kind of your portal one. Your introduction to the facility. While obviously both games are very isolated, I think for the sake of storytelling, have other people in the facility or at least test subjects at the time with Chell. I actually picture this movie in, uh, if anybody remembers the 1997 movie Cube, I picture Cube being a really good way to base or as a good base for the portal movie. I can definitely see it. I can I can agree with that. That's that's a good that's a good comparison. And obviously you want it to be a little bit of horror because there are some horrifying things there, but mostly you want this to be kind of like a sci-fi comedy drama. You know, because that's kind of what the game is. There are so many hilarious lines that I still, even playing Portal for the 50th time, I still have to pause the game and just crack up. I, uh, so it has to be a comedy, but I also want it to be played a little straight to make those comedy moments snap better. It's, it's a scary kind of post-apocalyptic almost scenario of being trapped in this underground facility, being tortured by a robot that can never die, you know, and, and doesn't feel sympathy. Think like, uh, I have no mouth and I must scream. Uh, you know, GLaDOS is kind of an amalgamation of uh, HAL 9000 and, and AM. So, you know, have some horror in there. So that for that first half, having other facility members uh, being tested on and being picked off one by one, failing or dying or being incinerated, that's a good way for us to not only see how things work in the world, you know, without being the player of a video game, but it's also a good way to show that Chell is a survivor and that she's awesome and can really fight and make her way through this facility. Uh, so then, of course, after that first half, that's when you kind of cut to black, and then she wakes up and she's been in that coma for nine, 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 nine days, <laughs> just etc. And that's when you introduce Wheatley, and you pretty much, uh, you know, you go through the 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 amazing story of two where uh, you you meet Glados again. Uh, you try to defeat her, Wheatley takes over the facility and kind of goes mad with power. Uh, and then, of course, you have that really, really good section of the backstory and the history of Aperture with Cave Johnson. And, of course, the, the origin of GLaDOS and who she really is. I think that would just be a fantastic way to do it. I even tried to think of who I would cast as director, and this was really, really tough for me. I am not a huge director buff. I have my personal favorites. I, I, I want to see Edgar Wright direct every movie I ever want made because I absolutely adore him. <laughs> um, Edgar Wright was the the first name that came to mind. The other yes. one for me would have been John Favreau. Yeah, I think John Favreau, if he if given a really good script, I think he could do it. Uh, John Favreau is a little hit or miss for me, only now because he has gotten a bit of an ego as of late. 
Because, I mean, like, he is super successful. MCU, a director and a cast member. Um, the Jungle Book, love it or hate it. it, it I, I personally thought it was actually pretty well done. I did not like The Lion King 2019, but that's a whole other day. And he, he seems a little cocky nowadays. So that, yes and no. But that being said, my other favorite director, or one of my other favorite directors is Charlie Kaufman. He didn't direct it, but he wrote it. Eternal Sunshine, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Synecdoche, New York, Anomalisa. He just came out with a movie this past year on Netflix as uh, I'm Thinking About Ending It All. I think that's the title of it. He's a really good director of things that make you kind of question and look at like mortality and life. But I don't know how well he would do with comedy. Dark comedy kind of thrown in there. So I almost want to see like somebody with the amazing emotional writing of Charlie Kaufman thrown in with the amazing dark humor of either Edgar Wright or or James Gunn, for example. I think James Gunn could pull that off yes, really well, too. Yes, and James Gunn, I really like his stuff. And even thinking of Slither, that was a pretty fun horror comedy. I'd want a little bit more of existential horror. So again, mortality, the things that you'd see and and again, I have no mouth and I must scream. So that's kind of where I think with good writers working close with a director like that, I really think this movie could be pulled off fantastically. And fun fact, I did not know until two days ago when I was looking into it, Apparently, there is a portal movie in the works. It's been on hiatus and kind of production hell for a few years. Back in May of this year, they just announced that it's still happening, but it's J.J. Abrams. And I, oh, do, not, Lord. I do not like J.J. Abrams. So no. that made my heart wither away because I personally love my concept. I don't care if nobody else does. You know, I I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to our opinions, good or bad or stupid or amazing. But screw you guys. I love my idea. (laughs) I love it. I would watch the hell out of my movie. As as producer slash financier of this this project, I think you could actually get away with truncating Portal 1 into like a 20 to 30 minute sequence at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And then you kick off Portal 2 at, at after the end of like the first act and you could still make it like 2 hours 20, 2 hours and 40 minutes and it'd still be really good. Even just 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, movies very rarely went past that one and a half hour mark. And especially for video games, you brought it up earlier, some video games, even shorter ones, are still 20 to 30 hours to get through. You can look up compilations of many video games where it's cutscenes only, and that's twice the length of a feature film, just for cutscenes, not even in between lore and dialogue and game building and character building. And and Portal is Portal's like a 20, 25 hour game as well, but you can easily cut out a lot of that fat of like exploring certain areas, especially in Portal 2 where where you you can like portal into a hidden boat dock and there's a missing boat. You don't need all that backstory. The the main focus would be Chell trying to get out, Wheatley trying to get her out and then being corrupted and then the the team up with GLaDOS as well. And you can make that work in a a two hour, two and a half hour movie. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and yeah, because the first Portal there's just not enough substance to make a full-length movie. Movie, so a sequel would be out of the question, or your know, sequel bait setup where you have one and two. If I had the money and the ability to make a fan film, 
and cast these amazing freaking people, I would make this happen by myself. <laughs> Seeing that J.J. Abrams is, is behind the project kind of just deflated my heart and all of the thought that I put into this. So, yay, depression. <laughs> just one other director that uh, just came to mind um, is uh, Saw script writer and uh, also Hollywood director of the movie Upgrade, which is the better Venom movie, uh, Lee Wanell. I think he'd be really good in a director role for this, too. Mm-hmm. He's, mm-hmm. He's, really, he's really got an eye for that isolationist point of view or minimal cast. Yeah, yeah. And he can get that, he can get that horror element done well. That, that's one reason why I was I also feel like Charlie Kaufman would be a good half of a director. It's like I want to squish all these people into one person. Um, <laughs> just because, yeah, he's really good at just that whole make you feel alone within your own thoughts. It's If you haven't watched any of his movies, especially his self-directed movies, please give him a shot. There are slow burns, but... By the time you're done watching them, they just kind of make you sit there and think. And it's awesome. That's that's pretty much my movie. Hollywood, give me a bunch of money and access to these <laughs> celebrities. And I will make my favorite movie ever. Make make a really good movie. Make Thank the you. best uh, video game movie ever. Thank, yes, that would be the goal. And uh, I, I mean, it's a low bar, but I mean, <laughs> you got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> Right, right. I can't even think of what my pick would be for the most successful video game movie that does exist. Because there's some that aren't terrible, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good. It'll end up being Uncharted when that comes out in February or January or whenever. And right now I think it's, I think the Tomb Raider is the, the most successful one right now. I mean, successful, like, it's good. Yeah, I think it's the most highly regarded, at <laughs> that's least. That's true, that's true, yeah. I-, I was literally so terrified of this topic because you brought it up like two weeks in advance and I was thinking and I couldn't think of anything. And just off the hand, you were like, hey, you know, do you have anything just yet? Like, nah, man, I can't think of anything. And you're like, oh, I have like five. Uh, don't worry, I'll leave Portal to you because, you know, that's like my <laughs> jam. And just instant bing light bulb went off and i had everything already planned out except for the corrupted course that took like a little bit of time as some self-promotion one of one of my favorite episodes that we've done uh before we went on our hiatus was the desert island video games Mm -hmm. and i remember you freaking out that you didn't think of portal as one of your desert island video games and so that that kind of stuck with me I, i could not believe that I skipped over that one because I have so many portal collectibles in my house. I have like the replica portal gun, the second wave one where you could switch the colors. So it's Chell, Atlas, or Peabody. And I got these adorable little like Nendroids. And I, I freaking love this game. Like I said, I replay it all the time. And to this day, 50 playthroughs later, I still crack up at everything Wheatley and Cave Johnson say. I swear to God. <laughs> It's a fantastic game. If you haven't played Portal 2, it, it is strongly recommended. There are some jokes that, if this ever were adapted, you couldn't really pull off because they're, like the first joke in the game is Wheatley comes in to <laughs> Chell and says, hey, you've been in hibernation for forever. Can you say Apple? And then it says, press A to say Apple. And then you, you jump. jump. Yep. <laughs> okay, uh, let's try this again apple and then you just do it again he's like all right uh well there's a there's there's only a little bit of brain damage so that's fine it's fine it'll work out yeah so that that could be a visual gag that you pull off somehow but it you also don't want to be insensitive and deaf and potentially make fun of people with 
disabilities. So maybe sure. that, that just gets cut. Uh, but it's a good visual gag, at least in the game, because your video game logic says, oh, I'm going to press A and I'm going to say Apple and we're going to move on. But no, with the game, you, you jump and Wheatley yeah. is like, oh, okay. You're literally pushing the jump button the entire time. It's like, of course, you know, there's nothing else you can do. And that's where a good, uh, a good script writer uh, writing for an adaption would come in. Some jokes, you know, you can get away without. But luckily, 80 to 90% of the jokes in it are all just through the vocal performances of the the various side characters. So I just, uh, yeah, I, I want to see this happen so bad. <laughs> it, it would be fantastic. And Thank again, I, I think that Hollywood really needs to get out of its own ass and kind of understand what makes these things great and not what makes a good movie. Because mm-hmm. usually in a video game adaptation, it doesn't work. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, that's it for us this week. Beppo, thank you so much for joining me. I know you, you like you said, you had issues kind of coming together with this, but it was a fun conversation and yeah. I got to rant about DC Titans. Yes. So this is kind of a 50-50 episode where uh, it's going to be Josh rants about Titans and then we have a topic. Yeah, right, So right. Uh, um, any social media you would like to put out there? Oh, we have to, we have to copyright our Josh style rage rant <laughs> segment. <laughs> Makes me sound like I'm one of the... Uh, what is it? One Direction? Is that Harry Styles' band? Uh, yeah, that's his old boy band. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh uh, Styles, but rants. Yeah, um, I'm I'm not super active on a lot of my social media because I'm an old fart that doesn't understand the kids these days. Uh, but you can check me out, um, Beppo on Twitter. I usually mostly post my artwork, uh, here and there. And probably some, like, Higurashi and Umineko crap, because I love that, and that's my passion. Uh, you can also check me out. I'm Beppo on Instagram, and Beppo's, or sorry, Beppo Art on TikTok. I have, like, two TikToks, and I don't think I'm ever going to use it, but I have it anyway. But as long as you have that name, then you're good. Pretty much. And no, I'm not a Billie Eilish reference. I have to have this conversation every time. If you don't, if you know, you know. If you don't know, I'm not going to explain it. <laughs> Google google it uh you can find me at josh underscore scar and you can find the talking smack page on twitter and facebook at talking smack pod and you can send emails we have an email tsmackpod at gmail.com uh you please like rate review what else is there to do we're on pod nation we're on good pods we're we're trying to get ourselves out there i'm gonna be on a a team up episode at the end of this week i'll be recording an episode with unsheft and i just recorded I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, if, if you haven't listened to Unchef, definitely give it a listen. I'm not a big foodie, but it's really interesting. They had a, the first episode I listened to them was, uh, is it a sandwich? And they talk a little bit about like, is <laughs> yeah. a hot dog a sandwich? And then they, they talk about their favorite sandwiches That's and they talk popular, about like the yeah. political side of things too. Like uh, apparently the, the discovery or the, the creation of the Reuben sandwich is highly disputed in New York. Oh. And they, they talk about how it's more likely that it's one or the other. It was really interesting. Like, I don't really care about food and its origins, but it was it's, it's a really interesting topic. And it's something that I don't usually seek out, but they, they're really cool dudes. And I, I'm really excited. I'm not going to tease. I'm not going to spoil what we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. on Unsheft, but it's it's going to be a lot of fun. That's awesome. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be doing that. And then I just did a... The, the holiday special with No on 15 that'll be out towards the end of the year and that was a lot of fun that took 
about two and a half hours to record because we couldn't stop talking. Uh, that, I mean, that's how ours go. <laughs> yeah. You just get into either uh, an incredible topic or side tangents. <laughs> Exactly. We love our tangents here at yes, Talking Smack. So sure. yeah, please give us a like. Please rate, review. Uh, find us on goodpods.com, Pod Nation. We're, we're all there. We're trying to, to build this thing. We, we're really grateful for everyone that's listening. We, we're really appreciative of anyone who's following us on these social media sites. And we appreciate you again taking the time to listen to us because you don't have to invest your time with us. And you do. Yeah, and we appreciate it. Too. It's super amazing. And it's always nice to have somebody listen to all of my horror opinions you included josh (laughs) so thank you all for sticking around it's always fun to talk with you beppo thanks again yes everyone you have yourself a great week and we will talk to you soon take care thank you bye-bye